Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. It's the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. It's Laugh 84. Over there is the two frames. Howdy. I'm the L Train. We're coming at you with a review of the movie Black Mass. I need to know everything you know about the Winter Hill Gang, and specifically what you know about your former boss and now fugitive, James Whitey Bulger. Let's start. In the beginning, Jim was a small town player. It's a very smart, disciplined man. Take your shot, but make it your best. Because I get up, I eat you. I'm at the table, you can come and let you. And the next thing you know, he's a damn kingpin. You know why? Because the FBI let it happen. I grew up with Jimmy and his brother Billy, the senator. And that is a bond that doesn't get broken. Your brother is waiting into some very dark waters. Jimmy's business is Jimmy's business. We all need friends. Even Jimmy, even you. Jimmy, you could help me. It's an alliance. We get the FBI to fight our wars, and we do whatever we want to do. The success. Just getting started. Johnny Depp's return to movie glory. It's a movie about the... (laughs) You you disagree? Well, we'll get there. All right. Uh... Written and directed, or mm, this movie is directed by Scott Cooper, who uh, most recently did Out of the Furnace, but he's also won some awards for Crazy Heart. This guy's from Abingdon, Virginia. Did you know that? I think I've read that. Went to Ferrum College. Uh, Screen written by Mark Maluk. This is his first screenplay, and Jez Butterworth, who uh, did Edge of Tomorrow. I think I've heard of his mother. Mrs.? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's also... Writing credits go to Dick Lair and Gerard O'Neill. Gerard O'Neill was in the movie that I recommended back in the We Laugh uh, a couple of weeks ago or last week. No, this week. Uh, Whitey's Whitey, the United States of America versus James J. Bolger. He's the guy that wrote the book uh, Black Mass. Mm. He was in that movie. What'd you think? Uh, I think I could retitle this movie. Go two ways with it. Instead yeah. of Black Mass, you could call it Black Mess. Yeah. Or Black Miss. Oh, Black Miss. Yeah. It, it, right. it, it's striving to be a great gangster film, but I don't know. It just never got all the way up there. I think part of the problem is uh, the story is too large for a single movie. This could be a trilogy. Uh, Whitey, Whitey Bulger, he led a really interesting life. Or has led. He's still alive, right? Barely. He's in yeah. prison. But, I mean, he's in his 70s now. Pretty much his life got interesting as soon as he became a teenager, at least, you know, with cr- in relation to crime. He was sent to a bunch of boys' schools. Uh, he went to prison for nine years, went to Alcatraz, participated in LSD experiments. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then we pick up with him in Boston, and he's pretty much well-established as a criminal there. Yeah, in the movie, the movie Black Mass, you only hear those things in dialogue and yeah, but I mean, all that stuff's interesting, and that's 20 years worth of stuff easily. And the movie goes over 20 years of his life and losses over the parts where he went on the lamb for, what, 12 years? More than that? 20 years? 
Uh, let's see. No, it wasn't 20 years. It's more like between 12 and 16. All right. So, I mean, that's interesting. <coughs> there's just, there's too much story to be told. And there are so many characters in this film and the movie's trying to give all of them, you know, enough screen time. And there just isn't enough to go around. A lot of characters mean a lot of good actors. Yeah. Johnny Depp's in this. Joel Edgerton plays John Connolly. Benedict Cumberbatch is in it as Billy Bulger. Weddy mm-hmm. Bulger. James Bulger's uh, brother. Dakota Johnson's in it. Kevin Bacon, Peter Skarsgård, uh, Jesse Plemons. What did you called him? Uh, meth head, Matt meth David. Head, yeah. <laughs> That's his nickname. Uh, he was on uh, Breaking Bad. <coughs> He's pretty good. He's in the last two seasons. Last season. Corey Stoll, Julianne Nicholson. On and on and on. Adam Scott's in this. He doesn't have much to do. He might get he might get a laughing nomination for best mustache, but he's he's not in the lead. He's not in the lead for consideration on that uh, winning that award. But I mean, all these people were interesting. Uh, Corey Stoll is a prosecutor who's trying to clean up the town. He seems like an interesting character. I wish we'd been able to spend more time with him. Uh, I'm I'm going to get into that. I think I'm going to ask you about what you think of the uh, supporting roles. But let's think about the two leads because this movie, although it's marketed as the um, Whitey Bulger story seems to be more about Joel Edgerton's character, mm-hmm. the corrupt FBI boss, John Conley. And I want to know, cause I know you like Joel Edgerton a lot. And I want to know what you think of him in this role I, I and thought, the role itself. I thought Joel Edgerton was very good in the role. I thought, you know, he was an interesting character. He steals the first half of the movie in um, terms of screenplay and uh, screen time. Screen time, but he's also more interesting than the Bulger character. The Bulger character really isn't developed till the last third of the film, I feel. Mm, I don't know. I think they try to do it. There's menace throughout. There's some menace, but he doesn't have a whole lot of scenes that he stars in. Hmm. All right. I I sort of disagree on that. Um, I think you see the arc of Connolly's character more than the arc with Whitey because he's just this, you know, force of nature. Mm-hmm. Whereas Conley has that sort of um, progression, but uh, I mean, I st- still think the interactions between characters are better when Johnny Depp's on screen. It's just what I feel. There are times like this movie. Generally, I'll know in the first ten minutes if I'm gonna like a movie or not. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene early on in this movie where one of the hitmen uh, in the movie is Joe Maritano. I'm not sure exactly who the actor is. He's eating some peanuts. And uh, Whitey, Johnny Depp's character, is just sort of looking at him and all grossed out about it. That movie was on par with some of the best... Or, sorry, not that movie, but that scene, and it happens early in the movie, led me to believe that this is going to be up there with movies like uh, Goodfellas and... Um, Killing Him Softly, which is a movie not a lot of people like, but I thought was great because there was this combination of menace and humor and uh, interactions between, you know, sort of stereotypes. And then it sort of went downhill a little bit from there. But I thought that those kinds of scenes where he's talking to various people and sort of doing gangster stuff, I thought those were the best parts of the movie. Where he does an impression of Joe Pesci, you mean? I don't think it's an impression. It, it it felt very derivative. It felt a lot like uh, Goodfellas. Yeah, and that's what I mean. And his character felt a lot like Joe Pesci. And whether Joe Pesci stole 
a lot of his act from the actual Whitey Bulger character. No, I think Pesci was acting on some... I think I've read somewhere that Pesci knew someone like that in New York. I mean, that was a New York-based crime story. So probably not. Um, That's the thing with this movie or any gangster movie set in America. I think uh, the, the director of Legend that's coming out in the next couple of weeks here is... I think his name is England. Mm-hmm. He said that there's no sense in making an American gangster movie because it's already been done. Like you already hit the mark with Goodfellas, The Departed, uh, you know, uh, Godfather, <laughs> Godfather yeah. one and two. Like there's no sense in going beyond that. And there's nothing more to say necessarily, but I thought this movie had a little bit more to say tonally and some of the acting was on par with some of those other stories, those other movies. Like I can, I think that this is Johnny Depp's. I think that this is his best movie. Okay, I mean, I only watching this movie. I, I thought this is like the anti Donnie Brasco. Oh well, Donnie Brasco's up there in the top five. <laughs> but but it's the same thing. Don, uh, Johnny Depp's character ruins another character's life. Okay. Right. Well, no, involved. I mean, he doesn't. The, the, the FBI. John Connolly accepts, you know, that position. He, it, you don't feel any remorse for him? No, no, not at all. I don't have any feelings of empathy for any of these guys. Right. Did no. you feel bad for Pacino and uh, Donnie Brasco? Yeah, but that's uh, that's because of Pacino. So, yeah, no, I didn't. There was no mole necessarily, and there's no mole in The Departed. I think there's no mole in this story. I, I think that. Those guys in this story who were acting out of revenge against Whitey were more, they sort of put it out there to say that they're, they turned rat because Whitey was a rat. When I think that all they're doing is basically just protecting themselves. They're going to figure out the best way to protect themselves. Well, it seems like everyone's a rat in this movie. Yeah, there is no honor among thieves. I don't think there is any honor among thieves in this movie. And I mean... Yeah, the idea of go to prison, serve your time, keep your mouth shut never really comes up. No. It never even seems like an option. <laughs> no, I mean, it's all these guys are scrambling for whatever deal they can get that is going to, you know, make their bed the softest to fall in. My, I, I guess this is a gangster film, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of crime in it or a lot of um, organized crime. There are murders sprinkled throughout this whole film. But there's very little organized crime and the um, understanding of, you know, this is how it's working. Um, In other Johnny Depp films like Blow, you really felt like you understood the drug world a lot more and how things were working. Uh, Goodfellas explained a lot of their rackets that they ran. I think it's a trade-off. In this movie, they they wanted to do more presentations with different characters. They wanted to do things with different characters. And they didn't want to necessarily focus on the procedural stuff. Uh, what was the movie that came out recently with um, Denzel Washington where he's a drug lord? Training Day? No, no, no. Uh, American Gangsta? Yeah, I think that one. That one was a pretty good movie establishing those procedural things. But they gave up on trying to uh, show the different levels of uh, character in having multiple characters interact with each other. Because this movie, like I said, it's got like 12 very good actors in it who are doing different things. Yeah, no. And I I guess, I mean, I understand you can't go and have too much procedure. You lose out on these character development points. But I never had a good feel of 
where Whitey Bulger was in the hierarchy of criminals in Boston and how much he ascended. Yeah, um, well, the movie suggests that he's at the top, right? At at the end, but I guess he was mid-level for a lot of the 70s and 80s. Not in Southie, not in South Boston. I think that they, well, what they wanted to do was nail the Italians. They wanted to get the mafia out of the North End. Mm -hmm. And that's why the FBI was willing to give him so much leeway uh, and use him as an upper echelon informant and just sort of let him run wild. That's why a lot of the things that happen, a lot of those murders that happen are really the responsibility of the FBI and our government. And that uh, collusion between Whitey and the FBI is what led to the deaths of all of these people. I think the 11 people that they mention in the movie because he's got carte blanche. He can just run around and be, you know, murdering people, strangling people and shooting them up. The strange thing is the real life murderers, a couple of them are out of jail. You know, the guys that turned on Whitey. So that Kevin Weiss guy is running around. I mean, he's just doing his thing. Mm-hmm. He's writing books and, you know, I don't know what, what his job is, but he's out in the world like a real person. He, you know, shot people in the back of the head and buried in shallow graves. It's crazy. It's insane what they did. Well, that was something that, uh, the FBI agent, he seems to get in a lot more trouble than these uh, gangsters do. Yeah, and if you watch that documentary, they focus, the Whitey, the... Uh, USA versus James J. Bolger, they focus on that a lot, that, that he's a sort of a scapegoat. Yeah, I just I, I didn't understand how all the moving parts mesh together, I guess is my large point. I guess I didn't, the, the reason that it didn't bother me as much was because I was, I just kind of was happy to see these actors on screen acting against each other and showing a range of emotions and just showing the different, I mean, stylistically, uh, it's a period piece. I mean, it's set in the seventies and eighties and it captures that feeling. Uh, I mean, it's lush. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is pretty good. It's, it's really, I mean, dark. It, some of the settings are inside of bars and at night and they were still able to capture that sort of feeling. So I kind of felt like I was watching, uh, I don't know. It was like, uh, looking at a, an aquarium full of gangsters <laughs> floating around. Yeah, I, just, I, I almost wish they'd gone for a smaller time period. Yeah, that's always to, the thing. To me, this is the same uh, criticism we make with superhero movies. That it's always, you know, the guy's got to save the world. Batman's got to save the world. Well, why can't it just be one night with Batman on patrol? Was he come across? You know, with Whitey, Whitey Bulger, why can't it just be a year in this guy's life? I guess there's so much about it that they wanted to say that they sort of like a baby babbling in a corner and doesn't really put together coherent sentences. It's just over there, and, but it looks cute, <laughs> making a bunch of noise. For me, uh, it was my second most highly rated movie mm-hmm. of this. I think it was up there. I think it took over this number two spot for from Star Wars for me. And I'm wondering if maybe I should temper my enthusiasm for stuff. This is always a common argument I've made throughout our history and laugh is that the enthusiasm for something is never, it, I never really feel satisfied based on my level of enthusiasm. Like my level of enthusiasm for this movie was a 10. What I got was a seven and a half. So in that sense, it's no more 
satisfying to me than Kamiko the treasure hunter. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like Whitey Bulger will have another movie made about his life in the next five to ten years. I don't. Why? What, what, do you? Why would they need to? Because I don't think this puts the nail in the coffin. Look how many movies have been made about uh, Wild West people. You know, Jesse James or Wyatt Earp. Yeah, but there's no. And I think these are. Th- this is our generation's Wild West. I, I think that the problem is what England was talking about, where Scorsese. And uh, it's The Departed was a drop the mic moment, and it's easy to compare this movie to The Departed because it has, I mean, they say that Nicholson's character is based on mm-hmm. Whitey Bulger, but that movie had so many moving parts, and it was so well told. Same thing with Goodfellas. This movie is a sort of a poor reflection of it. Well, maybe we're just in the doldrums for an era of gangster films. I mean, really, what gangster films start late eighties, go through the nineties? Well, seventy two for Godfather. You got Godfather. Oh uh, yeah, Godfather's almost an outlier. Mean Streets. Okay. I mean, you got some things going on. The Friends of Eddie Coyle. You, you've got some, but I guess we've been in kind of a doldrums without, other than The Departed. There have been some smaller films like Kill the Irishman. Um, you've got the British gangster films. It's almost its own subgenre. Mm-hmm. But you know, in ten years, does someone bring something new to gangster films, and we retell all these stories through a different lens, a, you know, a different cinematic eye? What what in this movie? What vignette or what element of this movie would you have focused on as a single standalone piece? I, I would do the initial FBI contact much more, and then also the fight with um, the. Italians. Yeah, they didn't really mention that at all. You know, to me, I feel like you could get a whole movie out of that. You know, and how much back and forth there were, and if there are that many cinematic moments. But I I feel like there should be, I I feel like there are some great stories. And you said a lot of these guys are getting out of prison or writing books. Yeah. And I think as they get towards the end of their lives, I think a lot of these stories are going to be fully told. You know, what was just rumor and speculation, someone's going to say, no, this is the way it actually went down. And we're going to have new information, and hopefully that'll lead to interesting films. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I don't hold out any hope now. I'm kind of disappointed. So you think the gangster genre is just dead? No, because I'm looking forward to legend. <laughs> <laughs> Set in England. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know where you can go with it. I mean, I think criminals are just, they're interesting characters for movies. People want to see what they do because they lead very different lives than the ordinary folk. I think everyone secretly wants to rob a bank. So if you can watch a criminal rob a bank in a movie, it's a thrill. Yeah, early in his career, he was a bank robber. So that that could have been an interesting part uh, to focus on. I think the movie would be better if it were a, a long-form TV show, like a television series over even two or three seasons, because there are a whole lot of... This is one of the problems that I have with um, movies, or mm, what was that book? To Kill a Mockingbird. It's mm-hmm. just like, to me, it seems like a collection of short stories, and this movie seemed like a collection of vignettes, but I thought the vignettes were really good. I'm very... Uh, scattered on my response to this movie i want to defend it i want to say how much i liked it but i didn't really like it that much i I, it's sort of the same attitude i have towards johnny depp in general like america loves johnny depp but he hates america (laughs) so i don't know where i stand i I don't know i I think they, they could rename this movie 
uh, tables. Because anytime Depp's sitting at a table, it's a great scene. But I'm not sure when they're not at a table if he's that great. Nah, I... <laughs> I mean, you I think talked that's about an the bar scene. Yeah, yeah, you talked about the bar scene. There's a scene in the hospital at the table. Well, he's in, there's a couple of bar... There are a couple of bar scenes where he's at the bar that were pretty good. Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I like the table bits. All right. Just save it for a scene with a table. <laughs> All right. We may have to look into that more deeply in spoilers. All right. Uh, the best part of the movie for you. Whitey Bulger at the kitchen table with his son. Or I guess it was dining room table. Really? Yeah, I love that scene. All right. I thought that, but I thought that's also very telling about who his character is and the dynamics where his son has gotten into a fight and he explains to him how the world works right. and why he got in trouble. I thought that was, I thought I thought that that was the one of the weakest parts of the movie. <laughs> really, that storyline, because his wife, uh, who was it, Dakota Johnson, uh-huh. is that who's was playing so. his wife there? She just kind of disappears after that, after the after well the key part that we'll talk about in spoilers. She's in that scene. You see him interacting with Whitey and you know in this sort of triangle of mm-hmm. of bad parenting and. uh then she just sort of, it's, it's like a, uh, it never goes anywhere. It gets lost. Well, I, mean, I think it shows the characterization of who Whitey Bulger is and the way he sees um, how problems should be solved. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, and I don't know if it's bad parenting. I kind of wish more kids solve their problems with fisticuffs. Okay. So there you go. Uh, no I, reason. No, no, I think that there's a time and a place for violence. And I okay. think, you know, you no, I think you also need to have some sort of social order. You don't get to run around being a jerk and not get punched in the face. Yeah, but then the most violent kid is generally the person that grows up to become Whitey Bulger. So you're going to kind of teach this kid, <laughs> give him... Violence isn't always the solution, but it does work out a lot of problems. I don't really think it's good advice to go ahead and... Do whatever you can get away with, which is basically the lesson he was saying, giving him. I mean, the way that Whitey Bulger enacts or lives that mantra he, he doesn't leads tell to the him kid murdering. He create a problem. He tells the kid, you need to solve this problem. I would argue that there are better ways to solve problems than not getting caught. I mean, that's like the kid that uh, puts a pipe bomb in the school. No, there's a big difference between getting into a fist fight with another kid after school in a pipe bomb. Right, but there's a there's a, a small baby steps that lead up to someone taking a rifle out. And, and I like, would argue those are the people that didn't get into fist fights as a kid. I, I bet those are the kids that let things just build inside of them. You know, I'm talking angry. about a guy like Whitey Bulger, who, you know, was able to strangle and choke out women and, you know, because he saw them as threats or able to take a rifle into a parking lot and shoot some guy in the back of the head. And I mean, he's solving problems. His problem solving skills are way up there. Yeah. But he's also in a violent business where if you don't kill the other person first, they're going to kill you. I mean, didn't he survive multiple attacks on his life? No, I don't know. I I thought I read that there were numerous attempts and he survived them always. Okay. I mean, the whole thing is if you choose to be a criminal, yeah, you have some difficulty solving problems. But getting into a fist fight with a kid? 
No, but I don't I, think that that's a horrible thing. I don't think that that's that was the that was the nugget of gold that he was expressing to the kid. My takeaway was don't do it around Don't the get man. caught. Yeah, don't get caught. Do it after school where there right. are witnesses. I don't think that, that I don't necessarily think that that's a great idea. Do whatever you want, don't get caught. I don't think that that's good parenting. If you say to the kids solve your own problems, like I, I would rather have the parent that would say there's what's right there's what's just and sometimes you can use violent means to attain that or achieve that they do that in american sniper his dad teaches essentially the lesson that you're explaining whitey bulger's point is be the protector you know there's there's what dogs and wolves or whatever Mm -hmm. be the person that protects the people who aren't able to protect themselves uh whitey bulger's is take advantage of the people who aren't able to protect themselves, just make sure that nobody sees it. I mean, that's no, the way he lives his life. But his his kid was getting picked on by another kid. Getting his stuff stolen, so he said, no, don't stand for that. He doesn't tell his kid to go steal stuff and then punch anyone who gives him any lip about it. Okay. Well, there's the message, and then there's the messenger, I think. There's a couple of ways to take something away from that. No, I mean, I it's also it's an old-school mentality. You can't get much older than me. <laughs> In my approach, I just don't think that it's great advice. Yeah, I mean, but there was, it, we're not that far removed from where PE teachers would ask kids to step around behind the gym, right. you know, to teach them a little respect. Right. I don't know. I mean, it's it, it, it was an interesting dynamic. All right. I'll, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll give I'm, you that. I, I, I'm, I'm very old school, Bill, so I think Whitey knew the environment his kid was going to grow up in. You have to be a little tough. To survive in uh, lower Boston at that time, I think in terms of the of the storytelling in the movie, that whole subplot with him and his wife, where they try to humanize Whitey or give you some insight into his mm-hmm. psyche, that falls flat for me. All right. I didn't like the other scene that happens at a table at the at the hospital later on in the movie, which I guess we'll talk about in spoilers. But yeah, those are the parts I would take out. The part that I would focus on though was the wheeler murder and the interactions between the individuals surrounding that because that's sort of what brings the whole thing to a close um and this is where we meet peter skarsgård sarsgård or skarsgård is there a k in there i thought skarsgård i don't think there's a k in sarsgård um sarsgård there's a lot of a's he plays brian hollerin i thought he was the best part of the movie Brian, take the bag. I want you to have it. Yeah, I want you to have it. To do the hit on on the wheel? No. That's $20,000 for you to not do the hit. I'm okay. Take the money, keep your mouth shut about what you just heard. It's best you're not involved. Take the money, take the money, take the money. Okay. Um. So I should go now? Yeah, you should go now. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. I could make the argument that they all were acting better than Johnny Depp. <laughs> like even Jesse Plemons. 
Everybody else, everyone that is in a supporting role did a better job than Johnny Depp. I wouldn't go that far. I thought Johnny Depp disappeared into the role. I, I wasn't seeing Johnny Depp on the screen. I think that, uh, my, I don't know, but psychologically, I think Johnny Depp, I think he must have had sisters. <laughs> he must have had a lot of sisters that made him play dress up. That used him as like a doll or something when he was a kid. Because he likes elaborate costumes in He's, his films? Yeah. He's always, he, he loves that stuff. I don't think he needed to go full, you know, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean to play this role. He could have gotten away with just, you know, looking a little bit less like the Grim Reaper. Because, all right, here's my argument. He doesn't look like Johnny Depp. Uh-huh. But he doesn't really look like Whitey Bulger either. He looks like this kind of crypt keeper menacing, you know, I mean, there's the pallor that you see in his face. And, he, and there's, at times, you see his, you know, his one brown tooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those eyes, you know, the, the contact lenses, they just, they were too spot on for, and, and I don't know. I've seen other pictures of Whitey Bulger. He just doesn't look like that. Right. So, uh, seems to me like he likes to sit for two hours in a in a chair and have someone put makeup on him. I think he's into makeup. I just do. I mean, but for some actors, that helps them discover the role, and it makes them feel like they're a different person. Uh, Ron Perlman's talked a lot about that, and he's a guy who spent a lot more time under makeup. A lot more time? Yeah. How a lot more time? Uh, His role in Beauty and the Beast, I think that was five hours of makeup. Hellboy. Uh, He was also in uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. I mean, he's famous for being under... Tons and tons of makeup. Where right. He's pretty much unrecognizable. My guess is, if, if you're if you're taking, I don't know if there's any way to measure this, but if you figure, if you, it's a way of figuring out who sat in the makeup chair longer over the course of their career. I think it's Johnny Depp. Uh, uh, Dark Shadows. You got the Mad Hatter in Alice in I Wonderland. Mean, you don't hire Ron Perlman to look like Ron Perlman in the movie. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's that's. That's what I see. I think that he was too made up, and I think that that was a distraction for me. You're looking at at the, you know, at the the makeup. At times, the makeup felt a little bit like a Dick Tracy. Okay. If people have seen that, yeah, 1992, Al Pacino, and yeah, Dustin Hoffman. Faces are a little bit too big. Right. Nobody else is really made up like that in the movie. Uh, meth head Matt Damon. I don't think he's made up. I think he's just fat. Hello. He's just fat like that. It looked like they stung him with 15 bees before every scene. <laughs> he does look like Kevin Weeks, though. He does look like the character he's playing. Uh, I don't know. Should we move into spoilers? Sure. Is it have we if we hash this out long enough? I wanted to come in and defend this movie a lot more. I wasn't able to though. I'm sort of disappointed in my performance on the last podcast. No, I mean, I think the acting's good. Individual scenes are strong. But as a whole, I don't think it, it, it just bites off too much. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. One thing I really liked was it looked like Boston for a lot of the film, which apparently is because they filmed a lot of it in Boston. Yeah, I think there's a walking tour now that you can take of his neighborhood, or you can spend like 25 bucks for the Black Mass tour. <laughs> I've been to Boston on tours like, not like that, but like 
It's a very historically interesting town, obviously, because of its place in history. Um, apparently a lot of the murders were filmed at the spots of the actual murders, which I can't tell if I like that idea or if that's just a little too um, creepy. It's a little close. Yeah. It adds verisimilitude. It adds to the elements of uh, the the movie that I kind of liked, like the texture and tones. So, like, even the they'll show, like, death scenes or the, the, the murder scenes of some of these victims, they're posed in the exact same positions as the crime scene photos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a part of me I like that, you know, sticking to realism, getting those facts right, but... I don't know. Might go over the line. Might be just a little too creepy. Yeah, I, I think it adds an element to the movie. Then I like it. Uh, I didn't like the subplot with his son dying. I think that whole, especially that scene where he turns over the table. You mentioned tables earlier. Uh, that was just so, I don't know, it just seemed so contrived. And another element that could have been left out that would have made more sense later on. I don't think you need, I don't, they tried to humanize him there some kind of way. Well, they also tried to hint that there was some sort of character arc after the son dies and his mother dies. He's not the same character anymore, but I never saw a change on the screen. I don't think, yeah, he's doing the same kind of stuff. So it's not like he becomes all of a sudden a more, a more menacing murderer. Yeah. So, you think that's what it was attempting to show an arc? I thought that's what they were trying to do. I mean, and trying one to of the characters in a voiceover said, oh, Whitey was never the same after this. Seemed yeah. the same. That was another problem I had with the movie. If they had chosen to have multiple narrators like they did, they could have shown... I thought that they would have shown a different Whitey according to each narrator, which was uh, a stylistic choice that I think would have improved the movie. Instead, they're just sort of, I don't know, acting as exposition or sort of setting up the next vignette Mm -hmm. as opposed to giving us any real insight into the character. Like, there's no reason for me to believe that any of these guys would want to, would would support him or want to have any, you know, uh, I guess there's one scene where he helps out an old lady. We're supposed to believe that this is the way that he behaves in the neighborhood, and this is why everybody in South Boston loved Whitey. When I don't know, it just didn't it didn't work for me there. But wasn't he beloved by a lot of people in South Probably. Boston? Probably. I mean, I suppose any gangster is like Gotti or whatever. People that I mean, you can buy love. Well, I, I thought like the, the FBI the agent he knew Whitey from when he was a kid, and Whitey was kind of a hero and would buy the kids ice cream and stuff. And yeah, I think would that engender. there's a- you know, a lot of uh, goodwill in the public. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a mechanism of being a gangster and like having carte blanche in your neighborhood or being able to, I guess you can kind of protect your neighborhood. One of the things he does is like, you go to a business and you say, hey, some people want to hurt you. Uh, you give me money and I'll protect you. <laughs> you know, there you create the outside threat by suggesting that there is an outside threat and then you're you're the person that, I mean, that mm-hmm. sort of racketeering is, I don't know if that engenders you to the neighborhood, but it keeps the neighborhood in line. So I don't know. Maybe he was greatly loved. I just didn't like the fact that they didn't show different people. Like, I think obviously you couldn't have had the interview with the old lady, 
that he helps, but she would have given a different perspective on Whitey. Instead, it's just a, a whole bunch of people just saying the exact same stuff about what kind of a you know gangster he was. Well, so that whole um, construct sort of fought, fell apart. Yeah, there's no clear antagonist in this film. Yeah, you're right. That's you know, in a lot of other gangster films, it's the cops or you know, there's some other gang that you know we have to worry about and that have to be defeated. In this film, I don't know. The FBI's in on it. There is no real problem that ever has to be solved. And like you've been saying, it's a series of vignettes. Well, until you get Corey Stoll in the end, and then Peter Skarsgård or Sarsgård. That those that's why those stories have a whole lot of more energy. I was hoping for more energy in the in the movie. But when Peter Sarsgaard comes into the movie and has that scene with him and you realize, okay, well, his days are numbered and you see what happens as a result of that. I think that, <coughs> sorry. And then when Corey Skoll, Stoll comes in, he's like, we got to get this guy. This is crazy. Why are we letting this guy get away with murder? Then you have the introduction of conflict. And both of those things happen in the last two thirds of the movie, like you yeah. said. So, you're right. No clear antagonist except for, I guess you could say John Connolly is... Maybe. But even when Corey Stoll comes in and, you know, yeah, we got to get Whitey Bulger, we don't really understand why Joel Edgerton is protecting him so much. Protecting himself. That's the way I saw it. But why doesn't he just say, yeah, here, let's go get him. Time's up, you know. No, because... He, he's been an informant for us in the past. I don't understand why that had to be some great hidden truth. Oh, well, I mean, they, he would have been nailed. He knows that he would have been nailed. Yeah, yeah, it would have all come out. He's just trying to protect himself there. But then I don't understand why he's not trying to set it up. Uh, Bulger was our informant. We didn't know about this other stuff. Now it's being brought to our attention, so we're cutting ties with Bulger. No, what what other stuff? You're talking about the Wheeler murders? Yeah, any of that. <coughs> I, I don't understand why Edgerton remains lawyer, loyal to Bulger for the whole film at some point it had to be like, Oh, we can't do this anymore. He is, I guess Joel Edgerton's character is so stupid for sticking with Bulger and trying to cover up stuff. Did he actually think that would be a lasting solution? I don't know. I don't know either. When Conley Edgerton's character gets thrown in jail, but I think it's why Whitey's on the lamb. So, well, and and Conley, had retired from the FBI for like four or five years before he was arrested. Right. He'd been out of it. So that part, I don't know, fell flat for me, but I felt like that's where they're also making up stuff. They're not sticking with the actual story. Well, it's sort of like not making it up, but just omitting the fact that he had been retired. Like you kind of see that his wife leaves him Mm -hmm. and you realize that he's working in a bill or he's living in a building somewhere that's not his home. So there's a time frame there, a time lapse that they don't really mention. So they don't tell you that it's two years later. Mm-hmm. They just let you know he's walking out of a building somewhere instead of his home. Yeah. What did you think about um, the scene with uh, his wife, with Connolly's wife, where uh, with uh, Whitey Bulger goes up and uh, I guess the wife is played by Julianne Nicholson. Uh, I, <clears throat> I don't know. I felt like I knew all the beats going into it. I, she was, I thought she was great in that. Yeah. I thought he was ridiculous. I thought he looked ridiculous. I thought the writing was ridiculous. I thought the, the whole idea of it was just insane and stupid. And I, 
my guess is while it was happening, I was thinking this. This is Johnny stupid. Depp wants a moment. He he needed some monologues. Yeah, I felt like he really fought for that scene because you know, then he had the one before it uh, asking for the steak recipe. Yeah, it's a pretty good scene, but but again, mm. it feels derivative, and it it felt like Joe Pesci trying to bust balls. The scene with the wife, I don't know, that felt more like uh, De Niro, something a little more subtle, but still, like you said, it's over the top. So you don't think he wins an Oscar here? No. Who wins an Oscar first, him or uh, Leonardo DiCaprio? DiCaprio. Really? Because he's going to win for The Revenant? I just think DiCaprio, he's been nominated so many times, he'll he'll get it before Johnny Depp. The problem is people still see Johnny Depp as the guy in the funny costumes. I think they've been nominated the same number of times. I think they've both been nominated three times. DiCaprio, Departed, Aviator, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Wait, DiCaprio was in... Oh, wait. Wasn't Johnny Depp in What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Yeah, but uh, Leonardo DiCaprio played the son, or the the brother, the mentally retired brother, and he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I thought he's been nominated for some other stuff, too. I don't know. We'll have to check that out. DiCaprio's great. I, I just think he'll get an Oscar before Johnny Depp. I don't think Johnny Depp is great. I think this is one of his best movies, though. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I would definitely take Donnie Brasco or Blow over this if you want uh, evil criminal Johnny Depp. Have you seen Blow recently? Not for a good four it or five blows. years. <sighs> I got it as a free uh, download on an, when I joined Flickster. I, I like remember enjoying movies. it back in the day. Yeah, maybe that was when you, back when you were one frame. <laughs> All right. Fine, I'll have to go back and revisit it. I, I still think Donnie Brasco holds up, though. Donnie Brasco's up there. Of course, you know I like Dead Man, or Dead Man. Ed Wood. Ed Wood, solid. Before Night Falls. He was in that movie. About the poet, uh, Cuban poet, Rinaldo Arenas. That's in the top. He was in a movie that he directed with Marlon Brando that on paper looks like a great movie. <laughs> Yeah, that, that can be said about a lot of it's, uh, Marlon Brando films. It's called The Brave, and uh, you can't. I can't get a copy of. Well, I guess I could buy a disc, but uh, he plays an Indian who agrees to be in a snuff film to pay for his. Uh, I don't know. He's got some problems at home. Anyway, Johnny Depp directed it. I didn't know that Johnny Depp was much of a director. I don't think so much. With wow. Marlon Brando, came out in nineteen ninety seven. I don't know. I, I think I gotta stick with uh, Private Resort. Oh, is that another movie? Pla- classic Johnny Depp. Okay. Early, I think like '85. Excellent. Yeah. But I think this is. Uh, I think people should go see it. I don't know. It's worth if you a watch. Had Fifty bucks, and you were gonna spend it on movies. This might be the last five bucks you would spend on a matinee somewhere. Does this get nominated for Best Picture? Mm, I don't know. I was saying I was talking really big about it on the preview show. No, probably not. It's it's this year's Nightcrawler. It might get makeup yeah, it'll nomination. Get some nomination. Maybe me. Eh, I'm probably not cinematized. There's not a whole lot of interesting things going on in terms of camera work, but mm, I could see if Skarsgård's character had a little bit more of a role, it might be he he might be nominated. I can't see anybody else getting nominations. So I don't know. It might be. It might not have any nominations at all. No, I think makeup, maybe sound design. But there's only makeup on Johnny Depp. Really? I don't know. I think. I mean, so. I thought a lot of people looked like they were being aged. I thought I saw liver spots on a lot of people. 
How hard is it to put in a liver spot? Come on now. I don't know. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club won for putting on liver spots on people. Come on. That was a lot more than just that. That had the... Uh, didn't Jared Leto go f- like he lost full a bunch female? Of doesn't he, at the end, he looks like he doesn't look like Jared Leto. He looks like a woman. Yeah, well, some it, would argue that that's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much of a stretch that is. Anyway. All right. So um, you say don't go see it at all? No. I'd wait for it to come out on video. All right. There, there's enough other stuff in theaters right now. Feedback. We got some listener feedback. All right, so Tony C wrote in. His top five were uh, was Creed. Isn't that a band? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're still touring. That's number five. Hateful Eight, The Martian, Star Wars, and The Intern. He's got The Intern way up there on his list. Yeah, but he also said no particular order. But, it is but funny. then he put he it in order. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does number them. So uh, he would have already seen The Intern by the time this show comes up. And I wanted him to look at The Intern as an example, uh, or as uh, Travis Bickle. <laughs> Grown up. A little more well-adjusted. So he's seen every single uh, Robert De Niro movie. Probably. Excellent, because he's been in some pretty bad movies. I'm pretty sure he's seen him. All right. Well, we need to get his feedback when we do a De Niro show. All right. I'll ask him what he thought of the intern. Um, I guess that's it for listener feedback, unless you got it anymore. I feel fine. Where can they give us feedback, Mr. Two Frames? Uh, if people want to send in comments, they can email the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com. They can tweet us at thelaughpodcast, or uh, they can send us a message on facebook.com slash thelaughpodcast. Excellent. Frank Costello and The Departed, as he says. If the Chinese want to nuke Taiwan anytime in this century, they better shape up and show me $1 million. What we generally do in this country is one guy brings the items and the other guy pays him. No ticky, no laundry. It's been a pleasure. <sighs> Mr. Uh, Two Frames over there. I'm the L-Tree. Pox at motive, everybody. There be dragons. Choke out here. It is what it is, man. All right. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Enough chitter chatter. <laughs>